Hey, welcome to church, everybody. How's everybody doing, right? Good? You happy? Tell your face that if you could for me this morning. Just say face. Like put, like, you know, you can smile. There they are. I see some pearly whites out there. Good morning, everybody. So good to be in the house of God. Um, really, it is a privilege of mine. I'm, I'm actually surprised that God lets me do it uh, Sunday after Sunday. Um, bring to you his word. Um, me and my wife, we don't take for granted um, being able to uh, be behind this pulpit and bring to you God's word. Uh, we love leading this community. Um, we love the people of this church. We, we love the spirit of God in this church. And um, it's just a real exciting uh, church to be a part of. And uh, you may have noticed we have less seats and less people. It's May. May is an interesting time for us at Hilltop. We say goodbye to a lot of people um, that have either graduated or moving on in their career, all, all different types and of backgrounds and reasons for going. But um, it's an interesting time of the month. It's a good time of the month. It's a uh, time of the year, excuse me, um, in that we get to kind of press pause for a little bit, relax. You know, September through May can be a very busy and chaotic time of the year. Um, but May just comes with its own kind of just refreshing, like, like we can pause, we can enjoy one another, smaller group, you know, more prayer, more just community, more cookouts, of which I hope everybody drops by at least one or two of the merges this summer. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's really a community-building time. If we could fix my mic a little bit, I feel like I'm about ready to scare everybody. I'm probably already scared you with the whole face thing, but I'm... Everybody doing okay? Okay. Well, I'm going to try to help our translators today. We have both Spanish and Portuguese, and it's come to my attention. At least the last three Sundays, Bethany and I have, like, rolled over the translators. We just are not listening to our cues, and they're trying to just keep up with us. So, guys, again, bless you. I, I, I hope you guys aren't dropping off and, in, in, in like, you know... I'm done with this job. We're trying to dial this in, so thank you for your patience. If you could, turn with me to James chapter 2 and just hold that place right there. Yep, there it is. Okay, yep, we're going to, all right. James chapter 2. Two weeks ago, me and my wife had a chance to go to New York City, spend some time with about 60 to 70 different pastors from all around America, essentially all around the world. I think we had some pastors from Dubai, Japan, Mexico, but we were able to um, go out and be with a handful of pastors for about three days, and usually um, going to New York scares me. I don't know if anybody can relate. I just, it's like a large city, but yet it's hugely crowded. I'm, I'm sorry, I've actually gotten to many debates about which city is better, Boston or New York, and, and I, I, I mean, being a native, I obviously think Boston's the better city, but I've had many arguments with people in this church about New York being the better city, of which I, I disagree. There's many reasons for that. I, okay, we have a couple of Boston fans here. Amen. Um, and one of the reasons I disagree with that is because it's just too congested. It's like... I mean, me and my wife, we had this sweet little Airbnb. We were sharing it with, like, Eric Johnson and a couple other people. And um, all throughout the night in the morning, all you could hear was horns, yelling, 
garbage trucks. I mean, it was like, it took me like the first two days just to adjust. And like finally on the third day, I got some rest because the traffic just never stops. Now I know this about New York, seeing how I've been there a couple times. I have actually been there prior a couple times. And I think this time I made the decision to actually enjoy kind of taking the culture a little bit, taking the city a little bit. And um, it didn't work. You know, I didn't enjoy it. I actually, the more I tried to take in, the more I despised the city. Um, if there's anybody here from New York, I apologize. I did not mean to use the word despise. But anyways, I um, noticed one thing in observing the city is that um, at the traffic lights, it's, it's, it is, I really feel for the guy or the gal who's at like the head of the traffic, like the, right there at the, like, you know, right there, like the first car. Because if... In New York, you don't move when that light turns green. You have just made half the city angry that's behind you waiting to go. It doesn't matter if there's a dead person in the road. It doesn't matter if a bike, a biker, excuse me, got hit. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if a pedestrian just was like taking his time or her time across the uh, crosswalk. It doesn't matter if there is a big line of traffic in the intersection preventing that first car to go. When that light turns green, cars need to be moving. They need to be going. Or else people are getting... I mean, I had to cover my ears with all the obscenities I heard uh, when somebody wasn't moving, when, when the cars weren't going. I mean, people are yelling out their windows, honking their horn. It was absolute madness. But it got me thinking about, well, one of the many reasons that I love the Christian faith, uh, that I know that's interesting, right? Like, how can I make the connection between an angry uh, person behind the wheel, a traffic light and such? Well, I did. I, I started thinking about one of the reasons that I love my faith, my Christian faith, and it's this. It's that our faith in Christ does not permit us to be inactive. It, re- it really doesn't. Inaction is when there's a lack of action where some is to be expected or appropriate. Now, that for me, that definition really <laughs> defines my Christian faith. I mean, you take, for example, Mark 16, verse 15. This is where Jesus says, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Notice the key word, go. It doesn't, it doesn't say, hey, like, just sit by, wait for my return, coming soon, do nothing until I come back. He says, go. Jesus commissions us to go into the world and bring his gospel. Make no mistake about it, friends. Christians are called to go. They are not put on standby by the Lord. Uh, They're called to go and bring the gospel to the world. Friends, if you're a Christian here today, that applies to you. There's there's nobody exempt from from Jesus' call to go into the world. No, No Christian, no person who believes that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and is the way to the Father. No person is exempt from not going. It doesn't matter if you're behind the pulpit, if, if you sit at a desk, you know, and, 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 or if you're in a campus, and you're, if you're a neighborhood, if you're a mom, you know, it does not matter. You are not exempt from bringing well, your Christian faith to the world. 
I, I hope this morning, my prayer actually for this sermon is that you guys, us all together, feel the weight of that commissioning, the weight of that call to go again. Because I feel like the church, for the most part, we, we, we kind of go without feeling that, that angst to bring our faith public. We kind of can just live in the tension of like preaching self-help messages, enjoying some fairly nice worship where we all act like white people in our worship. Kind of like, Jesus, Jesus. We kind of have a way of playing it safe, don't we? And we, can, we, we, we have somehow, I, I, I feel it myself. I feel it myself when I'm just at home and I'm getting around my neighbors and I'm like starting to sweat and I want to share the gospel, but yet I just can't bring myself to do it because I don't know how to bring the conversation that direction. And, 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 and part of me just shuts down. I've lost that kind of responsibility that I have in Scripture to be Jesus' representative. Friends, if you're a Christian, we need to feel this weight, the weight of going into the world and bringing the gospel. It's funny that Jesus was actually sent by his own words, by his Father into the world. And in John 17, 18, Jesus says, as I was sent in the world, Father, I am sending them, them meaning his disciples, into the world. There's Jesus' commission at the end of John's gospel in John 20, 21, where Jesus says, as I, as the Father, excuse me, has sent me, Jesus, even so I am sending you. Jesus also talked about the significance of his sent ones being sent into the world. I love this verse, it's John 13, 20. You can turn there, be on the overhead. John 13, 20, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, who ever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, which is his father. So the significance in all of this sending is whoever receives one of Jesus' sent ones receives Christ. And whoever receives Christ receives God. This is extraordinary if you think about it. I mean, we're going as Christ's representatives into the world. David Mathis says this, we are sent into the world. He's just a guy who offers a lot of commentary to the church and you know, writes a lot of articles. And he wrote this article in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said this, we are sent into the world as representatives of the one born in Bethlehem, I love this, and crucified at Calvary. We are sent by Jesus to bring the gospel to the world. And it doesn't just take a pulpit and a microphone to do this. It doesn't just take people who are in full-time ministry to, to, to feel the weight of this call, the burden of this call, the responsibility of this call. It doesn't matter what color you are, what education you have, what gender you are, your economic status, your zip code. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. Um, educated or not, if you live in the suburbs or the city. It doesn't matter if you're overweight, if you have a straight smile. See, there's hope for me. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, female or male, if you are good-looking or unattractive. 
Those things don't matter. Thank God they don't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you're in full-time, part-time, or you spend no time at all in ministry, which is an interesting statement, right? Because some of us, I feel like we live in that tension of like not feeling again that responsibility to consider ourselves as like a full-time minister of the gospel. I'm not getting paid. It's not my position. Why would I do it? I love Bob Weiner. How many know who Bob Weiner is? Am I dating myself? Okay, a couple of you, all right. Yeah, Bob, come on. This is evangelist, I think back in the 60s, saw God move in extraordinary ways, even here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Bob Weiner, a man who about, I think, five years, me and Bethany uh, sat under a conference that he was leading. And we came into this conference with about two or 300 others. And um, Bob, his opening remarks were, where are all my full-time ministers at? And like, you know, two or three guys were like, yeah. And Bob's like, no, 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 I, maybe you didn't hear me. Where, where are all my full-time ministers at? And those same two or three guys raised their hand. I think they were actually the pastors who were hosting the church, uh, the conference. But, and he said, no, 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 let me, let me, let me say that one more time unless, unless you're not hearing me right, right? Where are all my full-time ministers at? Again, the same three men raised their hands. And Bob continued to rebuke the group that had gathered. And he said, you are all full-time ministers. It doesn't matter if you work behind a desk if you're mom raising children in a neighborhood or a community, it doesn't matter. If you are a man of the cloth or behind the pulpit as a full-time occupation, preaching the gospel Sunday after Sunday, it does not matter. Amen. We are all in this together. Jesus' call to go is for every believer who believes on the name of Jesus. So before I beat that dead, I want to say this is that I don't believe that this is the only thing we're actually called to do. That, that, that our calling just doesn't stop with the Great Commission. It doesn't just it doesn't stop with bringing the gospel to the world. It's not the only light where we shine. It's not the only salt that we are in the earth. Good works, if you think about it, is another thing in which the Bible calls us to. Works. I know a lot of your gears are probably already spinning. When anybody mentions works or deeds in the church, everybody breaks out in cold sweats. Oh my God, this is a message on serving more. I can only do one time a month. If that's you, just let it sink in. Just let it sink in. Just let it. I, I can't, I, it's so funny to see some of your faces from here. The funny thing is, I can see everybody, not at the same time, but, you know, if you just step back here, I'm like, I can get a pretty good view, you know, I'm like, wow. Well. One of my all-time favorite parts in Scripture is James chapter 2, verse 14. If you held it in the beginning, as I asked, um, you can just crack it open, or if you didn't, you can turn there. It's a rather controversial verse, um, given the fact that it kind of contradicts Paul, in Romans chapter 4. I think that's why I love it. Um, I think Paul could use to be sometimes balanced in his approach, especially with women in ministry. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just lost half of the church. I, like I'm never coming back here again. No, I don't think he needs to be balanced. I, and I don't actually think that James is kind of balancing him out. I think Paul, at many points in his ministry, 
was highly misunderstood. And so I think James here brings some clarification, but it's, it is controversial nevertheless. Um, and let's actually read the verse here. James chapter 2, verse 14, if you're there, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? That's a good question. Of course, if you're familiar with the chapter, you know that James says no, it can't. Um, later on in verses 21 through 24 of the chapter, James, James excuse me, uses Abraham as an example of a man whose faith was active when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, if you're familiar with the story. Let's turn there. James chapter 2, 21 through 24, it says this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Hmm, interesting. You see that faith was active along with its works, and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 4, 1 through 3, here is the Apostle Paul. He says this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So you can see, if you were paying attention, kind of like the differences of approach, where, where, where Paul is advocating that we are justified by faith, and James is kind of saying it's not just faith alone that saves us. It's not just faith alone that that not necessarily is the root of our salvation, meaning works, faith is the root of our salvation, but works is kind of like the low-hanging fruit on the tree of those whose lives have been saved by Christ. Now, I don't want to head down the rabbit hole of, you know, is salvation by faith in works a false gospel? There's plenty out there. You can Google it and you can, everybody's like talking about it. I, for one, do not believe that my salvation is the fruit of works. I don't. No. I actually, I, I, I feel like my salvation, um, or, or works actually, excuse me, are, are the fruit of my salvation. And this is what James says. In his uh, verses uh, 21 through 24, that, that works um, are not enough. I'm sorry, that faith, excuse me, don't want to get tripped up here between the two authors. But that faith alone in of itself is kind of not the final landmark, if we could. It's not where, it's not where we end up just camping out. Like faith moves on to something. In, in a sense, I mean, we're saved, right? I mean, Jesus has sealed our salvation. But what then Jesus moves on in this great progression of Christian faith is works. It's the outworking of that faith. It's, it's looking to Christ as little Christians and saying, I'm going to do what Christ did. And that doesn't just, 
that's not just reduced to miracles and signs and wonders. There's a lot more uh, uh, to what Christ did on the earth than just healing the lame and raising the dead. I mean, that was, that was like a minuscule part of what Christ did. That was just a little, little piece, a little percentage of what Christ did. I mean, Jesus was feeding hungry people. Uh, Jesus was compassionate to people who Jewish people regularly were not were intolerant towards. I mean, Jesus did so many other things. And this is what salvation kind of brings out of us. This is, we encounter the Lord. He saves us. But then we look to the Lord and we go, I want to be like that. I want to be compassionate like Christ. I want to meet the needs of others like Jesus met. So I'd rather today briefly distinguish the relationship between the cause of salvation and the effects of salvation, right? That's, that's what we're looking for because we, we can't just say that we're saved and our salvation not look like anything. Like, like, like people who encounter Jesus, they, they look different. Matter of fact, the Bible says we become a new creation. Old things pass away. New things uh, have begun. I mean, this, this is not like, just like losing a couple pounds of weight. This is a total like body, soul, and spirit makeover when Christ encounters the heart. So I'd rather talk about the cause of salvation and the effects of salvation. By the end of my sermon, I hope that you hear me saying, works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. Loving my neighbor, right? I mean, feeding the poor, um, ministering to the orphan and widow, uh, that's not what saves me. Matter of fact, I wasn't even interested in stuff like that prior to Christ saving me. I had no interest to, 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 to caring for the poor. I had no interest in, you know, the orphan and the widow. I, I, I was all about me. But then Christ saved me, and it's like my eyes were open, right? I mean, how many can, how many can account for that? I mean, when Christ saved you, like, you're, you're, you're just, your perspective, your life changed. You became more sensitive to the needs of others, and, and, and things like, you know, people in poverty are, 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 are an orphan or a widow. They become very personal to you in that you carry them in your heart, and you're like, I want to do something. Only Christ can awaken that in us. Only Jesus can awaken. These things don't save us. They're kind of just like the causality of our salvation. Um, That is, Christ-exalting works are like, again, the low-hanging fruit that salvation in Christ, us being saved, had produced. And hopefully they are producing because if they aren't producing fruits of works, then you should probably question your salvation. That's why James will say something like, faith without works is useless. It's dead. It's not faith. He's ultimately saying that person has never encountered the real Jesus. That's a scary thing. Think about that next time you have to serve or give yourself to the cause of the needy or the poor, the orphan and the widow, and you can only do one time a month because your life is busy. Friend, according to James, you want to throw all in to works. Everybody's so concerned. I can't, 
I can't believe how many people today are consumed with this little buzzword, burnout. Oh, it's all you ever hear. I just don't want to burn out. How do how, where, can you can you explain to me the theology of that? Because I have a I, I have a different when when the Bible talks about burning up, it's either something I never want to encounter, or it's something that I constantly long to encounter. Much like Paul said to Timothy, "Fan and flame the Spirit of God inside of you, Timothy." Why? We are so obsessed over these little buzzwords that mean nothing to God. And they, they prevent us from the true joys of actually throwing ourselves in wholeheartedly to serving others. I don't know. I, I want to be a part of a community like that. I had a busy two weeks. I want to just, I, you might, I got like a Donald Trump complexion going on right now. I, I try not to wear sunglasses. I don't know if my eyes are white, my skin's red, but I mean, I, I had a busy couple of weeks, church related, unchurch related. I mean, it just was nonstop. And it's funny, within that, within that busyness, I ultimately started feeling that whole burnout of the heart thing. Like, I, like I got to stop. I can't lead prayer. I can't, I can't do this. I actually said to my wife, because we had football yesterday from 10.30 to uh, 1 o'clock, 1.30. That's a long day, so the sun's just belting us. And then we went to a birthday party in, like, close to Maine for, like, another three or four hours. Then we came back and her parents were hosting like some kind of dinner thing. And the only reason I went to the dinner thing is just for a free meal. I'm like, by that time, I'm like tired. I, I don't want to cook. Like if I just, I'll just go get the free burger, pop one in my son's mouth and call it a day because I'm done. You know, maybe that's like the answer to burnout. Like if you ever get like just that one caveat of like the parents inviting you over for dinner after a busy day, take it, you know. <laughs> that way you don't have to slay it by the stove. But one thing that I'd like to do here is kind of point to another part in the scripture where Paul actually um, says something, not differently, but in the same tone, if you would, or the same kind of heart and frequency of James. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. Here's something close to what James says in James chapter 2. If you're there, you can read with me. Or if not, if you don't have a Bible, you can just pop your head on the overhead there. Uh, it says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And, and this is not your own doing. Okay, great. I love that, right? Okay, we know what our salvation is nothing that we did, right? It's, it's, it's a gift that... Paul says it is. It's, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that you, uh, that you may not boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? What, what does your translation say? What, what, excuse me? Say a little, a, little, a little louder. This side of the room, I can't hear you. Good works. Good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which what? God prepared beforehand right, whoa like what like 
These were in the mind and the heart of God before you ever named the name of Jesus. Like, like he saved you for right here. Now some of you all hate, you got your hater eyes on. You need to change it up with some love and eyes. You're like, oh my God, works. Just change it up a little bit. We're going to get there together. You're going to love me by the end of this sermon. I, I have, I have, I have a, a hope for that. For we, we, we believers are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that what? We should walk in them. Not be idle in them, not be inactive in them, but walk in them. You see, Paul points to the life-altering effects of salvation in Ephesians chapter 2. And if these effects aren't laying hold of your heart, then the one thing you need to question is not burnout, but your salvation. I just want to stop there. Can we just end church? No, it's probably not a great, great note to, 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 to end off on. So these are the effects. These are the cause. This is the cause. This is the kind of like what, what working out, the working out of Christ in us, that workmanship of Christ is unto good works. Christ exalting works. I am not afraid of works. I, I, I pray daily that God would turn me into a worker. Man, this week I built a shed. I celebrated my, wife, my, my, my son's birthday, Mother's Day. What else did I do, babe? I, I just, I, 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 I put together a, um, a grill. I, 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 um, oh, this is like in two days. We had the, it's really, really gross. Okay, so ladies, I'm sorry. We had like this little rat, just one little rat. This, oh, I shouldn't say little. It's like the size of a cat. I mean, it's like, maybe it's not the size of a cat, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's big. And... There was a couple places that we were finding where this animal, this creature, was this demonic being, was entering into our house. And I was like, far be it from me, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seal up the holes in my hood. And so I, 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 I don't know where I'm going with this, but I am constantly feeling the tension and the pressure to become lazy. I'm constantly feeling at my heels... You know, the, 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 the grips of laziness. I, I, it's, it's on an emotional level. It's on a spiritual level. It's on a physical level. A mental level of just absolute, ugh, I give up. And, and I do these things because I, I'm warring against that spirit. Because it's more than just me helping around the house, sealing up my home and building a shed, I understand that there's something very spiritual, very spiritual to this process. And so in a moment when you're building a shed and you're busy coaching football and you're tired and you know you haven't spent time with Christ, you don't give up. You, you lock in, you get in sync, you get in step and you persevere. Man, we need some more persevering Christians in the church today, so consumed with burnout. But the only thing that Christ has ever attended for us is to be burnt up in a good way, meaning that the Spirit of God burns within us. 
that's what I'm holding on to. So Paul does three things in this text. He says that grace is the root or the cause of our salvation. Faith is the hand in which we receive salvation. And good works are the foreordained fruits of salvation. We're not working to be saved. We're not, we're not working so that God loves us more. We're, un, we're just understanding that this is part of being saved. It's, it's, it's part, it's the effect, really, if you would, of, of a God who's encountered and saved our hearts. Is The outworking of that is like, okay, what can I do? How can I be involved? How can I get invested? I'm not just talking with Sunday mornings, friends. Your, your battleground might be in your workplace, that, that, might, that might be the place where you have to fight apathy, where you, where you have to fight fear of, of being that person that's open about your faith. Your, 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 your battleground might be your neighborhood, you know? You, you just, the, the, the na- I mean, I get mad at my neighbors. I'm like, I got to constantly check my heart. We're having like this battle right now of like where my property line ends and begins. And I'm really trying to be a good witness uh, because I want to wring the guy's head. But anyways, um, so it's, it's, that's my battleground. Because I, I realize if I lose it with him in anger, I, I jeopardize the potential of leading him to Christ. It's being a bad witness. He knows I'm a pastor. Let me, let me say that again. I, I realize that, that, that uh, my battleground is not losing it in anger. Because I've, if I do that, I might lose my testimony. What's your battleground today? Where's where's your land? Where's the places in which Christ has called you to be open with your faith, to be light and salt? Is this okay? You know, we're going to wrap things up because it really gets interesting in the rest of James writing in chapter two. Um, before James says that faith apart from works is dead or that faith is useless apart from works, James gives us a story in verses 15 through 18. You can turn there so you can see it. I'm just gonna summarize it for the sake of time. But the story is of a person, this make-believe person who, who is poorly clothed and hungry. Interesting. And in need of a person um, of supposed faith. This is another kind of character that emerges within the storyline. The person of faith addresses the person. He addresses the person's need with just words. If you're looking at the scripture, he essentially says to this poor and hungry person, be warmed, be filled. That sounds so Christian, right? (laughs) Hey man, you know, My wife's about ready to leave me. Brother, I'm praying for you. Be blessed. Uh, Man, my kid, he's just, he's in rebellion. He doesn't listen. I I don't mean to say he. I only have a little he. So, uh, or she doesn't listen. She's in rebellion. Oh, brother, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm praying that your kid, you know, locks in and gets more obedient. Be blessed. So this person of faith essentially is shallow in addressing the real need of this 
poor and hungry person. Just an example. I mean, this could be anything, really. James decides to use a poor and hungry person. In James chapter 2, 15 through 17, we read this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things they needed for their body. What good is that? The part of this scripture that rubs me the wrong way is it actually calls for action. It doesn't just call for words. Although sometimes that's what a situation needs, it's just words. But in other situations, it calls, calls excuse me, for actions. And that, that, those actions become sometimes inconvenient, don't they? Like, i got to go out of my way. i got to go stop and maybe at Target or Marshalls and buy some clothing. I don't have time. Or get some food. And it just, it, it just is inconvenient, isn't it? It's probably the main reason we often just offer words to people's problems without real hardcore things. Or just real works. Things you got to roll up your sleeve and do. That's where it becomes hard. And James calls that kind of faith or belief in Christ. That's what the word faith means. It means your belief in Christ. You're being saved. This is the faith he's addressing. He says it's dead and useless. It, it never happened. It was never real. You served something or you gave your life to something imaginary, a God that does not exist. Because the God who really saves meets the needs of people. Think about it. How can Jesus, you know, see that large crowd of 5,000 people approaching him? Five loaves, five fishes. And the disciples do the stereotypical thing that we all do as Christians. Lord, send these people away been a long day, Lord. We've been out tracking. We've been in the sun walking with these guys. Lord, can you just send them away? Doesn't that sound like the church? You, you, we may have not, I, I can honestly say that I may not have ever said those words like verbally like so that people could hear them or my wife could hear them, but I've thought them. And, and our God in whom we serve knows our thoughts. And, and, and thinking something like that is just as powerful as saying it. But how many of us, I, I, can't, I can't even count on one hand how many times I'd be more apt to just send people away without answers, without meeting their needs, than actually meeting their needs. The God we serve sees the lack, but still meets the needs. We see the lack, get overwhelmed and burn out. And we say, send them away. And, and, and this is why faith becomes useless because, because we're, we're not necessarily following in the attitude or the precepts or the behavior of Jesus. Do you understand? Like, this is where, this is where our faith just takes that, that extra step from profession and, 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 and just giving our, our hearts to Christ with words and prayers to actual actions where people can say, oh, that's something different about that, dude. I'll tell you, I don't know. I'm sure the 
parents of the football team that I coach with my son Abram think I'm a pretty different person. Um, my wife had to slow me down Sunday. Saturday, sorry, thank you, babe, thank you. Um, I was acting a bit crazy. Any fathers here, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a dad, it's okay, you can, you can admit it. It's all right, there will be one, one dad in the back, it's not a shame. You know, your, your son's still young, but my, my kid's fairly young, but he's 10, he's playing flag football, and I'm getting crazy about his commitment to football, but how, like, like he's all in. He's, he's all in in a way that I'm just like, that is like, every moment he gets, he's like, Dad, can we go through the football? Dad, can we go run these plays? Dad, can we do this? Can we do this? And it's all around football. And then I actually see it out on the field, his passion and his dedication to, to like, you know, a year, a year and a half of just practicing and going through drills and going through drills. It is amazing. And I was acting a bit crazy because there was, there, I'll just be honest, there was one play. Um, is it okay if I just share? This is pretty cool. Because Abram will probably, if you see Abram today, he will share it with you. That's how excited he was. Well, anyways, he, he's, he obsesses a little bit over Gron, Rob Gronkowski. And um, there was one play where I think he, just, he got like an impartation or something. <laughs> some spirit came upon him. Um, don't know if it was good, if it was like, you know, if it was godly. But um, Luke, our quarterback, stepped back. Plays in motion, and Abraham's over to the left, and Luke just jolts one to him. And I'm looking at, because I'm like, I'm like right on the sideline. I'm, I'm sweating, acting like that dad, okay? I'm acting like a madman. My wife's looking at me like, who is this guy? <laughs> Abram, I'm looking at the pass, and I know, I'm like, he is not going to catch this. I hope he doesn't go for it. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt if he does. Well, he went for it. And essentially, it was over his head. So he jumped back. Have you ever landed on your back? And, and, and like, like, you know, like you've actually like jumped up and like threw your body back and like landed. If you're, you could take the wind right out of your, your sails. Well, this is what Abram did. He, he, he caught the ball in full kind of like back, bam, right in the ground. I'm like... I was acting crazy, but I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I kept my composure to a degree. I mean, I kept my salvation. Like, I didn't, <laughs> it is challenging because some of these refs, you're just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clock this guy, okay? Uh, and, and you're like, you're, you forget that you're saved and, and for a moment, but I kept it. And, and, and this is what people need to see. It was funny. I was thinking that parents were actually going to be mad at me for the way I was acting. I wasn't acting like I was just excited. I was in it. I was running up and down the field. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was cheering. I'm, I'm calling out plays. I'm like thinking I'm Bill Belichick. I'm like, this isn't, I'm Bill Belichick. That's my Brady. This is my team. We're going to win this thing. And I'm thinking by the end, as I'm looking at my wife, and she's looking at me like, oh, my, oh, my Lord. They're not, let, they're not letting you back. They're not letting you back. But uh, towards the end, I got a little bit scared. But afterwards, a bunch of the family members came to me and they're like, Coach, thank you so much for your excitement. I, I had this other coach that was working with me. He's like, I've never had so much fun in my life. Now, this guy, he's, he, he is straight-laced, calm. He, he is the exact opposite of me, a Christian man, um, a, a, a man who loves Jesus, same Christ, just a different expression. Um, 
And, and I'm thinking, this guy, he knows I'm a pastor. He's going to be like, you really, you're a pastor? Like, you're crazy. Like, have you ever thought about seeing a therapist, a counselor or something? But he was like, I never had so much fun. I knew what he was saying. I had so much fun watching you. <laughs> like, the kids were great, but you were like, you were, you were entertainment. You were, they, and they won. They won the game, which was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome because we lost the game before really, like, the, the previous Saturday by, like, well, we lost by 40 points, meaning, <laughs> meaning the team who won had 40. The team who lost had none. So I don't know where I was going with that. But it's so important to not just show Christ with words, to not just show Christ with, you know, just putting a Band-Aid on by saying, be warm, be blessed, brother. Those things are good. We want to be blessed. It's another whole thing to show Christ through our actions because Christ was always meeting the needs of people, not just by words, but by actions. And those actions went beyond just healing people and, and, and doing signs and wonders. Those actions went into hardcore feeding people, loving people, and having compassion. I got derailed. I'm going to bring this home. Is this okay? Yeah. Let me just find my place. So we left off with James talking about not just meeting people's needs with words, but meeting them with things. Um, we go on into the storyline where the person, this imaginary person, again, picks up the conversation. Um, and he starts to treat this imaginary person. It's actually James just like, what if a person said this? And this imaginary person starts treating faith and works as two separate gifts in the conversation. If you look, it's there in verse 18. But someone, that's the imaginary person, will say, you have faith and I have works. James replies to this imaginary person, which is ultimately is himself, um, as he's having a conversation, just kind of painting it out for us. He says um, that faith, which is not seen outwardly through a person's deeds or works, is really no different from no faith at all. Meaning, if these things cannot be seen or experienced, these works, then they're imaginary. And if they're imaginary, right, they're not real. And if it's not real, they're dead. James goes on to say, essentially, to this person that treats faith and works as two separate, kind of separated issues, that um, he will demonstrate his commitment to Christ um, through faith and deeds. Look at the second half of verse 18, and we're wrapping up. James says this, show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by works. The imaginary, excuse me, person continues to protest. And he goes on to say, you believe that God is one. It's rightly spoken, right? God is one. Um, the same saving faith that Abraham discovered, the apostles proclaimed in Acts, and the Jesus are the gospel's cover, is the same faith that now this protester is ascending to. This time the ar ar argument is that, uh, well, it, I'm, I'm trying to speed this up, so I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to butcher it. Maybe we should just hit abort, but I'm going to go for it anyways. Because it, 
it's, it's, it's going to summarize, I think, this beautifully. The argument begins to turn into that God is one God. The orthodox belief that God is one should be enough to save him. That is the argument of this protester. To James, he says that no, faith is not enough. Listen to his response in the second half of 19, if you would turn or if your eyes are there. This is interesting, and this is why I want to I say these words, if nothing else, even if it comes across with absolute weakness. James' response to this imaginary person about God being one, he says, even the demons believe that. That's, that's quite an indictment. That, that even, like, demons have a correct theology of who God is, that he is one God. And, and that's how James kind of measures the faith of those who just have faith alone but don't have works. That, 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 that professing faith in Christ is not enough. I mean, James says that even demons, demons do that. That is remarkable. And they shudder, is what James says. I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many of us sitting here today, me, myself included, should shudder when we see the needs of others, but we ignore them. Or we just try to pacify them with words. I'm wondering just how much, like, at, at least demons know where they're going, right? At least... At least they, they don't even hold any regard for people, right? They don't, they don't hold any love or any concern for people who are hurting and people who have needs. But we do. And how much more should we shudder if, if we're not being the people of God that we should be being in the earth or called to be in the earth through meeting the needs of others? My, I guess my point is this. And I'm sorry about the summary. I think I got a little bit lost with the football story. I was probably not needed. <sighs> we have to move from an action to action, friends. We, we do. We, we, we got to be careful not to just get snapped up and ensnared in this life and just live for the here and now. You're going to hear a lot of this from this pulpit. You probably already have. But we have to be very careful that, that we're not just throwing all our eggs into one basket, and that's the basket of this life. That when it comes to our eternal life in Christ, that we're reaping or that we're sowing into having eternal rewards. Think about that, the separation of eternity like in, in, in this life. I mean... This life is but a vapor. That's what scripture teaches. It's fast. It's going to be here one day and gone the next. But yet, eternity, life with Christ is forever, right? I mean, and we need to be very careful that we're not just living for the here and now. And that we are fighting against the spirit of inaction and taking action feeling the weight and hearing the call of Christ to go into the world and to bring his gospel and make disciples. 
Father, I repent for my inaction this morning. I, I repent, Lord, for the ways, the places, Lord, the things that you have called me, the people that you have called me to speak and to go to that I have not yet gone to, Lord, because of fear or laziness, God, or, or just being consumed with my own little life, my own little world, God, I ask for forgiveness, Lord. I ask, Lord, that I would feel per the personal weight, the weight, God, of Mark 16, 15, Lord, where I would see myself, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian, God, that I would see myself going, speaking, and doing works that glorify Christ. Lord, I don't want my salvation to only be something of word, God. I want to take action. I want to help, Lord, those who need help. I want to do good works that exalt Christ in this earth. Father, I pray that we would all desire that. We would all crave that. Lord, if there's something amiss with our priorities, Lord, if there's something amiss, Lord, with the way that we're scheduling and doing life, burning the candle at both ends of the stick, Lord, or, or maybe just one end, Lord, where we're more in the secular than we are in the sacred, Father. Uh, I, I ask, Lord, that you would move us and shift us to be more balanced, more giving, God, more, 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 more godly in the sense that we're not stagnant, we're not just standing still working at our dead-end jobs, Lord, but that we're, we're actively, God, Bringing your word, bringing your hope, bringing help, God, to the hopeless and the helpless, God. I pray, Lord, that you would move us, Lord, from inaction to action as a church. Lord, that, that, that the weight and the responsibilities, Lord, here at Hilltop or at the Justice House of Prayer would not just fall upon the, the 10% of people, Lord, but it would fall upon us all, God. Lord, let this trickle out into the streets, out into the city, God, the way that we serve the city, the way that we love the city, the way that we bring the gospel to the city. Father, let it trickle out, God. And let our good deeds shine a big light on Christ in faith. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray that as we repent, Lord, you would do a work, Lord, where our Belief in you, our faith in you moves from words to actions, to deeds, to works that glorify God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, church, we, listen, we love you guys. We really do. Um, pray that you have a good week. Listen, keep your head up. The weather's going to get better. I heard 81 degrees tomorrow. Don't quite know if it's going to be sunny, but it's going to be warm. All right, that's a positive. Um, other than that, have a good week. Um, remember, we do this every Sunday, same place, same time. We love you guys. We'll be praying for you. Hey, listen, stop by the House of Prayer this week. Get locked into a set. Come 7 o'clock Monday morning. Come to a 9 o'clock set at night, any day of the week except for Wednesdays, okay? Wednesdays is only a morning set. We look forward to seeing you guys. Be blessed. Have a good week. I got all my chances up there. Love you guys.